I've uh, really been um, enjoying the series that uh, I started at the beginning of the year, Living It. You know, we were talking about living it, man. <laughs> living it, living the life. Actually, if you're going to the next slide, I'll quickly recap for those that haven't been around. Um, the whole point of the series, the, the thrust of the series is that Jesus, uh, he, there's an open invitation of Jesus for each of us to be his Talmudim. If you remember, that's a Hebrew word for disciple. Uh, and I was saying, actually, I prefer the word apprentice. Today it seems a bit more meaningful, apprentice. Jesus' open invitation to us is to be his apprentices. Now, the key thing to note, I think, is that Jesus, he doesn't invite us into a philosophy. He doesn't invite us into just a different way of thinking. His invitation is not, therefore, it's not into a religious system. So in that regards, I guess he's, Jesus never came to invite us into the religious system of Christianity. <laughs> he, his invitation was to himself. He said, come follow me. It's me. Come to me. And so that's Jesus' invitation. His, his invitation isn't to just a different way of thinking. It's to a different way of living. And... That's why I call it living, <laughs> living it. And uh, for those of us who have said yes to that invitation, those of, those of us who have said yes, you know, Lord, for the rest of my days on this earth, I am going to be living it the way that Jesus lived it. That's what I want to commit to. For those of us who have set off on that journey, it means that we will center ourselves around these three goals, essentially. And that is to be with Jesus to become more like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. Those three things. So if we, that's our goals. That's our life goals then as apprentices um, to Jesus. Now last week I started to unpack the whole thing about becoming like Jesus, if you remember, if you were here. Now if you remember, I did a little exercise that got us all standing up. I asked a question and those that it applied to had to stay standing. The outcome of that was that we all acknowledged we are so not like Jesus yet. Because <laughs> I said, I think it, the question was, if you feel that you're more than 10% like Jesus, stay standing. Stay standing. And everybody said that real quick. Uh, and I was saying, if I had a chair here, <laughs> my bum would be on it too. But in other words, what we were saying was, we all need to change then. If, if our goal is to become like our, our, our uh, teacher, our rabbi, Jesus... Then we need to change. And I was saying that we don't need just a, you know, a little bit of a clean-up on the surface there to a character. It's not a slight tweak to a character. We're talking about a radical transformation of our character. A radical transformation, what the Bible calls metamorphosis. Remember that? It's a radical change, a profound alteration of our form if we're going to be like our rabbi Jesus. But that's the thing. I was saying last week, you know, as, as human beings, we weren't created to be static. Just this stationary thing that just doesn't change. Quite the opposite. We were actually designed and made to be ever-changing, to be becoming something. And that's the thing. I was saying that actually we are. We all are becoming something. Whether you're conscious of that or not, whether your foot is on the pedal of intention or not, we're all becoming something. We're all on that journey of change. 
And in fact, last week, if you remember, I introduced uh, this kind of frame of unintentional formation which takes place or comes at us, uh, every single one of us. Unintentional formation. And what I was saying was simply by the fact that you wake up tomorrow morning and you go about your way, your life, you are subject to being changed, influenced, formed by a number of things. If you plan that, it doesn't matter. If you build a strategy for that, we are going to be um, on that road of alteration, that formation. And we're changed by three things. If you remember, I was saying this. A, the narratives, the stories that we, were, we believe, things that we believe are correct and the way that the world functions and the way it, what's right, so things that we've grown up and been taught, those things kind of change us. They form us. They mold us. Also, our habits, those repetitive routines that we do uh, on a daily basis, those things that become habits, they actually do something to us. We don't just do them, they do something to us. And thirdly, the relationships, those that we surround ourselves with the most, actually begin to shape us. We become like those who are around us uh, the most. Now, all of those things, as I say, they're kind of working together, they're kind of conspiring, <laughs> if you like, and they're kind of, they're, all that is taking place around an environment, I was like saying. It all takes place around an environment, like a town, the town where you live, or the village where you live, or the place where you work, where you spend your time socialising. It's cultural influence. And then finally, I was like saying at the bottom here, that all those things, they take place over time. In other words, they don't just happen in an instance, you know? We don't just suddenly change. It happens over time, and it happens as a result of us going through a series of experiences, good things, bad things, indifferent things that happen to us. They shape us. They begin to shape us. So we're all on that road of change, and the the tide, the current is flowing in in a direction which is because of this arrangement. So as I say, without our foot on the accelerator, we drift you know, some people think, you know, if I just don't engage in tension, if I just take my foot off the accelerator, I just stop. And that's not the case. We all still drift in a certain direction. So the big question for us as apprentices to Jesus is how do we counteract this? How, you know, how do we offset all these things, these influences of change? How do we ensure that the transformation that we go through is to, we're being transformed more into the likes of Jesus as opposed to the likes of our environment, our town, our city, the culture there where we live, the world? So I just want to kind of pick back up off there. I'd run out of time last week, so that's where we're kind of picking up from. I just want to introduce you to uh, the second category of change, This is called intentional formation. This is about the things that you do, you get up tomorrow, and you actually engage intentionality. Um, So setting yourself up to follow your rabbi. The things that you actually do with intention. Now, first off, we need to offset the stories that we believe. And we do that through teaching. It's kind of what, it's what we do here. It's uh, on a Sunday. It's uh, teaching the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? You know, everything that, when the Apostle Paul was asking that question, what do we do with this? What do we do in this in society? What do we do with this? He was always, well, what did the scriptures say? So we're always 
you know, coming, it's about teaching. It's about reading the Bible daily. It's about, it is about all that. You know, some people thought that I was kind of a bit down on reading the Bible. I wasn't down, and we're always encouraging that. But how are you doing, by the way, with our 45-day reading plan? Yeah, we're still, still on that? Sound a bit iffy? We're going through the Gospels, and I've just found, yeah, it's just great. You always find something fresh and new about Jesus when you read the Gospels. It's, uh, it's real. But what this is about is, it's about us positioning ourselves or you know, opening yourself up to good, true biblical teaching. Now, in my mind, the best kind of teaching is not the teaching that just teaches you right from wrong, but it's the teaching that causes you to rethink or undermine those things that you believed were right about the world, the things that you were brought up to believe. So I think good teaching causes you to undermine that, to reconsider that, and maybe replace that with things that are true according to what the Scriptures say. So it kind of gets in your mind, and it forms a picture of the good and beautiful life that God has invited us into. You know, if you look at the way that Jesus taught, you know, as we're going through the Gospels, maybe you've noticed this. Jesus, he doesn't seem to just dispense with a load of commands. Have you noticed that? He doesn't just go, oh, you, stop doing this. Sometimes to the religious people he did. But on the whole, he was just telling stories. He was just telling stories about how the world works. And how it could work better. He would say things like, you know, this is the kingdom. This, this is my father's kingdom over here. And this is the way the world works. But, you know, look at this story. You know, look at this narrative. Uh, adhere to this. Don't look at the, the story and the narratives that the world presents. But look at the narratives of my father's kingdom. This new reality. This new way uh, of living. There's a, um, in Romans chapter 12, there's a real, it's a real classic um, passage which echoes that sort of intentional opening your mind to the uh, good, soundly, and godly teaching as opposed to that what the world says. It says in verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. That's our word we looked at last week. Be metamorphosed. <laughs> what metamorphosized? Is that the right word? Oh, make it up. Uh, be be uh, transformed. How? He says, by the renewing of what? Your mind. In other words, don't align yourself, don't align your thinking to the template or the ways, the narratives of the world that the world presents, but be profoundly altered in your form at the very core of who you are by the renewing, the changing of your mind. And this is why we say, you know, keep coming to church. It's a good thing to come here to church, to gather and listen to teaching. It's good to keep reading the Bible. Keep reading it daily, getting it into us. Keep going along to the study groups. Keep reading the books that teach about the way of Jesus. Do all those things. They all play a vital role in our transformation. But, and this is what I was trying to say last week, is teaching and Bible knowledge is not the end of discipleship. That doesn't kind of sum up discipleship. This is it. Which is what we, I think, the church have mostly done since the Reformation. (laughs) Um, It's kind of like we put this big emphasis on the teaching. 
you know, it's all, we grow, we change by the word, the word of God. We just come here teaching, and then we do that enough. We eventually become like Jesus. But it's not the end of discipleship. It's the beginning point. So we replace the narratives then with teaching. Yeah, I did put it up. Next, we counteract the habits that we have in our life by what we do through our practices. I touched on this a few weeks ago as well, a.k.a. the spiritual practices. I think I referred to them common sense habits, you know, that, uh, those uh, spiritual practices that, of Jesus. Those things are like reading and meditating on the scriptures. There's silence and solitude. It's fasting and prayer. It's about practicing the Sabbath and on and on, giving, all those things. We're kind of replacing our habits with those spiritual practices. Engaging in the art of practicing is effectively building new habits in, into our life. You know, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, you will have done it if you was on your reading plan. It's uh, in Matthew five, from Matthew five to seven. What we read there is essentially it's Jesus. It's kind of like his manifesto to how we live as apprentices within this new reality that he's invited us into this the kingdom of God. And then right at the very end of that series of teaching, he says, you know, the wise person is the one that doesn't just you know listen to these instructions, doesn't just yeah, let them fall on their ears, but they actually take these instructions and actually practice them. <laughs> we actually do them. It's in Matthew seven twenty four. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the whole idea about what Jesus is saying here is, you know what? Yes, you are going to learn to love your enemy. You're going to learn to live your life without anxiety and without worry and all those sorts of things. You're going to learn to learn uh, about what it is to be generous towards those who need. You're going to learn that. You're going to get it down in your life. You're going to get it sorted. But it's going to take a lifetime of practice. It's going to take practice within community. It's not just going to happen after a day or two. It takes a lifetime. And this is another reason why when we talk about becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming a disciple, becoming an apprentice, I think a great analogy is that of uh, running a marathon. I kind of mentioned this at the end of last week. You and I just couldn't certainly get up tomorrow and say, that's it, I'm going to go run a marathon. I know I couldn't. (laughs) And I was talking about James's post on Facebook. Uh, He said, there's no way I'm going to run London Marathon and that's the reality. He couldn't. You know, I couldn't. What, because he hasn't trained. But would the right thing for us to go to James to say, James, oh, come on, just go down there. Try harder. You've just got to try harder. Come on, James. It doesn't matter how hard he tries. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to do it. He needs to practice. He needs to train. So I guess maybe... A correct thing is not necessarily saying, you know, James could not run the marathon. It's he could not run the marathon yet. But, you know, if he applied all the training that was required, he absolutely could. So come on, James. (laughs) Get practicing. (laughs) This is similar with our discipleship journey, you know. 
We may not right now be able to live without anxiety, without stressing out over things. We may not right now be able to love our enemies or be able to extend forgiveness to those that hurt us. We might not, we, you know, may really struggle with that. But you know, if we practice, if we practice those things, we will over time. Maybe it'll take a lifetime of us working at it. And even if James did the practicing and did the London Marathon, it'd still be hard work. I don't mean, oh, the practice takes all the hard work. <laughs> it'd still be hard work. And I th- again, I think there's something in that about our discipleship journey. We need to work at practice hard. It's not about you know, trying harder, <laughs> working harder. It's about practicing harder. It's about training harder. Having said that, you know, our spiritual practices, silent solitude, prayer, and all those sorts of things, uh, they do more to us than just cause us to live better life <laughs> or experience life better. They do something to us. That's what I was saying earlier. Our practices, our habits actually do something to us. They reshape us. Now, I'd ask Ange to share her story about how her kind of personal, private practices that she does with God, how they shaped her. And she said, yeah, I'll do that. And then only yesterday she said, oh, I'm actually out with the youth. <laughs> but don't worry. She actually uh, recorded something for us. So we hit that. So Rob has asked me to share about my morning activities with God. And I think some of you may have been in church um, a few months ago when um, I shared about how I was always looking to find how I connected with God and what I discovered for myself through doing several of the different books um, like Sacred Pathways was that actually I'm quite a traditional person. I, I love the church, old churches, stained glass windows, I love candles, I love the cross and so I kind of thought to myself, well, how do I bring this into my home setting? And what I'd done was um, I kind of thought to myself, gosh, I would love to have an altar in my house. I know that sounds probably a bit weird. Um, and, but in my spare room, I have like a little table and I bought myself a cross and a candle. And actually somebody bought me part of an actual church's stained glass window, which is absolutely beautiful. And so I have this as part of my morning ritual of just meeting with God. But the interesting thing I found was that since I've started doing this, is that I hear God more. I'm kind of almost like more attuned to him. And um, I found that part of my... um, my reactions to people were changing. I work in a school and I, it can be quite stressful. I actually work in the um, admin um, department. So we, we deal with a lot in any one day. And I found that I became more or have become a lot more calmer, a lot more helpful, a lot more supportive. And it's been quite interesting seeing how my character has changed through me meeting with God in the morning. One of the other things that I found is that I also was hearing God a lot more and, and hearing him better. Um, I could, during the day when I was going home maybe, um, I would f- hear like a voice just saying, you know, go this way or pop into this shop. And, and I would have 
And I have been having these most amazing experiences of bumping into people as well as, you know, the little voice during the day saying, you know, just message this person and say this. Um, and sometimes it was the most weirdest sort of one liner that I would message somebody. And yet the response back was kind of like, gosh, I've really needed to talk about this or I'm so glad you've said that I'm going through this at the moment. And so I've been really, really buzzed by the kind of um, the things that and the ways in which God has been using me and speaking to me and working through me um, just by meeting with him that for that that few moments in the morning and giving him my first part of my day has been really amazing and really wonderful and I am totally loving it. <laughs> Did she finish by saying I'm so loving it or living it there? <laughs> I get that. I'm living it. Love it, loving it. The practices that we intentionally engage in in just everyday lives, they do something to us. They form us into the likeness of Jesus. Third, then, in place of our relationships is community. We're transformed in community. Take a look around you. Literally, take a look around you. That's what I'm talking about. And talking about what we have here. Talking about the people that we have made, that have made a decision to follow Jesus alongside us. And you know what? We cannot follow Jesus alone. I don't care what anybody says. We cannot follow Jesus alone. This is a real big deal. You know, Jesus, he had, he didn't have a disciple. He had disciples, you know. And I think there's an absolute reason for that is because change, real transformation takes place in the context of community. And because, uh, I think because community essentially does two beautiful things. Maybe not the most comfortable things, but they do two beautiful things. And, and first is exposure, and the second is encouragement. So exposure, first of all, this is where I got my sponge. <laughs> exposure. You know, if you look at this sponge... Just by looking at it and maybe even picking it up, we don't really know whether it's loaded with anything. You know, that's the nature of sponges. They kind of collect fluids. And if you want to know whether there's anything in it, what do we do? Give it a squeeze. I wanted to actually do it. I was going to get out and I said, you know, can we have a couple of... And we never had time. So. Uh, but yeah, you give, it, you give it a squeeze. That's what you do. And you, you squeeze it and what comes out of it becomes evident. And I think, you know, exposure within this context, within community, is a bit like the squeezing of the sponge. It shows what's actually inside of you. <laughs> you see, you and I, we tend not to notice that we're a selfish, insensitive dork <laughs> on our own. We tend not to notice that unless somebody else points it out to us, right? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, this is it's so true for me. Um, there are a whole list of things which is not good about me that I did not know about until I got married to Ange. <laughs> oh, by the way, what I'm not saying is that I became really worse when I married Ange, okay? Before you... <laughs> she comes down and that's what you start telling her and I was saying, no. I was that same person before I was married. It's just I didn't know that. I didn't have anybody around me to actually tell me <laughs> that I was a dork. 
uh, and just stupid uh, and insensitive. So uh, I just needed somebody to, I would need somebody to tell that I messed up. And wives are good at that, you know. <laughs> wives, I want you to like, nudge your husbands now and say, you know, hun, you messed up. <laughs> you messed up. Or if you, if you set somebody that you know well <laughs> in the church and they know that you love them, <laughs> give them a nudge and say, hey, you know what, you messed up. <laughs> it's true. And we just need somebody to tell us that. And the reality is, you know, community brings out the best in us, but it also reveals the worst of us, whether that's marriage, whether that's church, you know, in your community, or whether it's just close friendships or whatever it is. That's it. It's exposure. Community is about exposure. It's what we do best. But the thing is that a healthy, godly community also does encouragement. So this is when, you know, your spouse or your uh, church community member, or your friend, they're saying, look, I really care about you. I really love you. I really care about you. But you know what you did back there was really stupid. (laughs) What you did, oh man, you're just behaving like an idiot. But, you know, I want you to know that I recognize, I see something. I see that where you're going. I see where God is taking you. And I I just want to say, I am with you on this journey. I'm going to with you for the duration, and I want to help you. I want to bless you. I want to pray for you and encourage you. Can I do that? You see, that's what exposure and encouragement does. It fosters the, like honest living in community. And you know what? It can be hard, can't it? I don't know about you, but I get a little bit itchy, a little bit irritated when people start pointing out things that aren't right in me. Uh, but I just know from experience that it's a good thing in the end. It's a good thing. And it's essential. You know, if we're going to experience transformation into Christ-likeness, it's, it's essential. And this is why we, we have small groups. You know, we've just signed up to a new term of life groups. I'm so looking forward to it. It's about us doing life together. Um, and that, it's so critical to our discipleship journey, doing life, standing with one another, uh, providing love and support and challenging and lovingly correcting and uh, all those sorts of things. That takes place in life groups. So if you had signed up to a life group, get signed up to a life group quick. Yeah, they actually start this week, most of them. So should do that. You see, I think we need to pay real close attention to what relationships that we allow to shape us uh, in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that we've got to become, you know, weird and isolate ourselves, separate ourselves off from the world. We need to learn to be a good neighbor to the world. And I think if, you know, separation is what we live by, I don't think we can do that. So God calls us to be a good neighbor to the world. But we need to ask the question, what relationships are actually shaping my character? And is that shape anything like the shape of the one that I profess to follow? <laughs> is, it, is it shaping me to be like Jesus? So we need to counteract the relational influences, um, things that change us, with community, community influences. And the place, our environment. Yeah. Our culture, our town, our society is replaced with the work of the Holy Spirit. 
What I'm saying here is that the Holy Spirit becomes our dominant reality, the dominant influence rather than our environment. Um, he is more influential and, uh, than our town, than our society, than our workplace, our culture, all those sorts of things. I was talking about this a couple of weeks ago, about practicing the presence of God. Remember, I was talking about Brother Lawrence uh, all those years ago, practicing the presence of God. Jesus called it abiding or, or, or uh, finding your home in me. He said, abide in me. Find your home in me. Um, those need to be our primary way of experiencing life in this world. And it's the starting point of transformation. Remember Paul in Galatians 5? He talked about walking with the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit. But out of that, out of that practice of the presence of God, out of walking in tune with the frequency of the Holy Spirit comes the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, the very characteristics of Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all those wonderful things that characterize Jesus. Now, as with all the previous, uh, the previous frame, all this happens over time again. We don't suddenly become like Jesus after a few weeks. You know, I've been reading my Bible for like three weeks now. I'm still not like Jesus. It doesn't happen that quick. It doesn't even take months. Sometimes it's not even just a year or two. It takes a long time. There's no quick fix. And we don't want to hear that today, do we? We're always looking for the shortcuts in life. We've you know, been brought up in a, uh, an age of microwave everything, you know, <laughs> or text message, and you know, the world is at your fingertips. That's what society is. Unfortunately, we still can't microwave our, uh, our journey with Jesus, <laughs> our character. Um, can't text message Jesus likeness, you know, and it all sort of happens. All we can do is grow it. And growing it is like growing an oak tree. And, and that takes like decades. It may be, you know, decade, two, three, four decades to actually manifest. Lastly, it all happens throughout trials and difficulties. You know, life isn't easy, is it? But it's not only for us as followers of Jesus. Life isn't easy for, for anyone. We all encounter hardship and we all encounter difficulties. Um, whether you're a person of faith or whether you're not. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the most hard and the most difficult, turbulent, painful moments in life can become a catalyst that God uses to shape us into the image of Jesus. That's the difference. A lot of people, you know, when they go through hardship, um, they just simply they run the other way. You know, a lot of people just try to avoid hardship they simply become bitter and torn and angry, dysfunctional. But the Bible tells us as followers to look out for something else. Keep an eye out for something else. Many of you remember in the book of James, right at the beginning, chapter 1, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I mean, how can we possibly consider it pure joy? He explains. He says, Because... You know that the testing of faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God has the ability to take our sufferings, all that bad stuff that's happened to us, and it happens to all of us. 
He's able to take that, all those things that we encounter in our life that would shape us, and he's able to actually grow and mature us by, by taking those things, and he translates them into maturity. Now this uh, is, or it can be, a very difficult thing for us to grasp, especially here in our Western uh, secular society, which is built around comforts, isn't it? It's all about comfort and pursuit of pleasure and fulfillment. And, and, and it's a society that cannot recognize any redemptive angle to suffering. At best, it's viewed as an interruption or an inconvenience, or at worst, it's a permanent obstacle that we just can't get around. Suffering is often something to seek, that we seek to avoid at all costs. Now, what I'm not saying is that's necessarily a wrong uh, attitude. I certainly don't go running looking for suffering. You know? Bring us some more suffering. Anybody seen any suffering? I'm going to go for it. No, that's not what, what I'm saying here. But may we have eyes to see that during those very moments that we would normally turn and run away as fast as we could, may we have eyes to see that there is a potential to catalyze change and transformation into, in our lives into the way of Jesus. You know, as many of you know, I suffered with hearing loss. And this is something which, for about eight, two years, I've been just really trying to lean into with God. It's just, how is he forming me? I'm not saying that God has made me deaf. I'm just saying that in spite of my deafness or in spite of my challenges, in spite of your challenges, God is at work and he can do something. And that's the thing I'm trying to focus on is what are you doing? How can you grow me in this? How can I, that what I'm going through benefit the lives uh, of others? So, back to our picture. It's through uh, teaching. It's through practice. It's through the community that we come together in. It's through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. All of this happens over time, and it comes through trials and difficulties in life. So what I want to do is just kind of you know, come right the way back and finish with a question that I started uh, this last week. The question is, is transformation possible? Is that you know, deep level soul change, character change, is it absolutely possible? Think about this. If, what, what if you've been through a painful separation or a divorce and it's just left you feeling bitter and you know, I just I can't get past this? What if you've encountered uh, massive financial uh, turbulence, difficulties that just, you've just like, lost nearly everything in life? What if your family member has abused you when you were a child growing up? What if your boss or your co-worker is just seem to be working at making hard life, uh, your, your life hard at the moment, every day that you, you're there. What if you just feel like a complete failure in life? Is this transformation available to you? Is it possible for you? I just want to say, with all honesty, a resounding yes. Yes, it is possible it's absolutely possible but it's not inevitable it won't just happen just by pure fluke you know it certainly won't happen for those of us who just think oh you know i'll come to church once in a while and you know maybe i'll open my bible now and again as well 
you know, we have to stand against the overwhelming tide, that current that's flowing uh, against us, the stories that we believe, the habits, the relationships, the environment. Yeah, if you want to experience change and transformation, then it takes a lifetime of intentional discipleship to Jesus in community, so with people around you. As uh, Rich Nathan, the pastor of the um, Columbus Vineyard, he, he, the way he puts it is, you know, this is about us just putting one foot in front of the other every day. Left foot, right foot. Left foot, right foot. Walking the walk. Um, doing it today. Doing it tomorrow. Doing it the next day. Walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Saying, Jesus, have your way in me today. You know what? If we keep doing that, if we keep doing the left foot, right foot, if we keep just at, you know, just doing it daily, we'll create a new tide. We'll create a new current in our life. So let's begin by taking some steps. And begin by taking small steps. You know, I think sometimes we make a mistake and we think, you know what? I'm going to try and develop a, a new um, a habit of silence and solitude. So I'm going to start with like 45 minutes of silence. Has anybody else tried that? I tried that. I thought I'm going to go for half an hour. And I got to about three minutes. And I was like, I can't do this. But start small. You know, certainly don't think, you know, I'm going to try and form a habit of reading the scriptures. So I'm going to try and get through the Old Testament in, in two months. Again, just don't do it. You set yourself up to fail. That's not how you develop a habit from the root up that will last. Start with a five-minute thing you know, of silence, three or five minutes of silence in God's presence every morning. Just you know, spend the time reading a couple of chapters. That's why we would say just read through two chapters a day of the, the Gospels. And then over time, try to develop and expand that. So after a couple of weeks, maybe I'm going like, to cover the two chapters in the morning and I'm going to add another chapter just before I go to bed at night. So it's expanding. You're creating new habits. And then stand back and be attentive to the things that God's changing in your lives. Look at the attitudes that you have towards others. Look at the attitudes that you have towards your kids the attitude that you have towards your spouse. Keep a check on how you respond in certain situations, situations that would normally freak you out, normally depress you, normally you know, stress you. Just keep a check. Hey, I've noticed something's changed there. You know, we're going to spend a lot more time, I'm going to unpack these spiritual, uh, spiritual disciplines a little bit more, the practices, uh, over the next few weeks, in a few weeks' time. Um, so we're going to really kind of get into that I just wanted to do I just felt God saying let's start putting feet on this let's start putting wheels and let's start doing something you know for some of us we, we don't really concentrate much on our, our discipleship journey and that's not uh, there's a bit of check in spirit there I just felt as though I was criticizing people I'm not trying to criticize because I'm, I'm the same you know, I struggle with the same things. So the, the other question that I just want to leave us with, um, and maybe this is a question that you'll ask yourself during your devotional time, if you're setting up a time in the morning or in the evening, so you're before the Lord, just ask yourself this question. 
Who are you becoming? Who am I becoming? What's shaping me? Who am I becoming? Because, as I say, every day we're becoming something. We're becoming, becoming somebody. As I said before, if you could um, you know, plot out a trajectory line from your life, where you are right now, going through the things, your activities, the things that you do regularly in your life, on the horizon, what do you see? You know, in 20, 30, 40 years' time, who, who is it you see? Do you see Jesus? You know, the character of Jesus being formed or being kind of expressed through your, uh, through your character, through your personality. Where do you see something else? Or somebody else? Now, maybe that question makes you feel a bit uncomfortable. Who are you becoming? Maybe that's a bit deep for you or it makes you feel a bit agitated. It did me. You know, I'll be honest. A couple of weeks, I've been asking myself this question for a couple of weeks. And I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. I haven't really been settled and, and happy with the answers to that. Sometimes I feel, I don't know, I don't like what I'm becoming. Or I, I can see what I'm doing now and I, I can see where I'm going with that. And I, I don't really like that. Sometimes I just feel like a complete failure in all, all this. Yeah, I can, I can make myself look great here. Not great, but, you know, you know, uh, you know look sort of spiritually healthy. <laughs> I can make that, ha- you know, come across. But on the inside, I'm just, I can be a total mess. And so I find this uncomfortable. So you're in good company if you find that a difficult question to, to ask yourself. I'm sure that most of us actually feel a little bit uncomfortable with that. But I think the best response is not, okay, so I'm failing. Let's just get off the ride. I think the best response is, okay, so then what adjustments do I need to make here and now to actually get on track with this, to make it right? And then do something. We've got to start somewhere. We've got to start and do something. It's nice to be moved emotionally in a, like a sermon like, this you know oh that was really good the principles of that are really great but unless we actually take the things and do the things what we're doing right now is a complete waste of time well the worship it was okay because jesus is glorified and but you know unless we do something with this stuff it is actually a waste of time why don't we why don't we pray stand and pray together